Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. And what is the culture of the Kingdom of God? What is what is your culture? What is culture? Culture is a cumulative deposit of knowledge, experience, beliefs, values, attitudes, meanings, hierarchies, religion, notions of time, roles, spatial relationships, concepts of the universe, and material objects and possessions acquired by a group of people. Now... You have to divide that group of people off into what group you're talking about because groups interact with other groups. People are sometimes a part of one group and another group simultaneously. They intermarry in families and so the family member may be from one culture and another family member from another culture. And... uh so you you end up with this idea of some sort of homogeneous culture, but culture is actually a, a blend. And recently we've seen people talk about uh, culture appropriation. And the reality is that appropriation is the highest form of flattery, isn't it? Imitation is the highest form of flattery. The fact that somebody even recognizes that you have certain characteristics, uh, art, what have you, in your... That's another way culture is defined as the characteristic and knowledge of a particular group of people defined by everything from language, religion, cuisine, social habits, music, and arts. Arts includes what they wear. So you have somebody who's wearing a Halloween costume dressed as an Indian, and they get into trouble because it's called cultural appropriation. It is, it, that is insane. But that becomes a part of their culture too where they get offended if you, you know, suddenly have dreadlocks and you're not from Haiti. (laughs) So the reality of dreadlocks were all around long before Haiti was called Haiti. Uh, But people don't care about that because they begin to focus on their culture as their identity. When their identity is actually pre-existing to their culture. A culture is just a way of trying to categorize or define identity. Sometimes of a particular group. But as I said, most groups are a blend of multiple groups and multiple people. So anyway, the reason I bring this up again is because we're going to be talking about... uh, going down a certain path way of looking at, at a number of things and uh, that are coming out. I actually heard some things in the news d- immediately before the program that I thought was, it was just misinformation. It was not true knowledge. And of course, remember, culture refers to the cumulative, cumulative deposit of knowledge. Well, what if the knowledge that you've accumulated just ain't so. It ain't true. It, is, it isn't what actually is going on. 
in reality. It's it's a delusion. So is that delusion a part of your culture? Well, it it may be a part of your character that you are susceptible to that delusion. Like they were saying that, you know, numbers of cases are increasing and and deaths are increasing. Well, actually, deaths are not really in, increasing. If you go to Sweden, the deaths are plummeting almost at a standstill. The number of cases are actually decreasing because they have not locked down. And that was the prediction by many epidemiologists who did not get into the news, but they're well, some of them are the most scientifically quoted epidemiologists who are saying that if you have a shutdown, lockdown, uh, social distancing, and everybody's wearing PPP masks, etc., 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 you are actually going to prolong and of course that's what they said their design was was to slow down the virus. And so they slowed down the virus and they probably did to some degree the social distancing the lockdown did. Masks probably didn't do much. They might have some slight influence because we're dealing with a virus not bacterial infection. And uh they slowed it down, but it was stated by many epidemiologists, if you attempt to slow down the virus, you may kill more people in the long run because the virus will continue to circulate in society for a longer period of time and capture or infect the most vulnerable of society. Now, some people will argue about infect. One of the things about viruses is that you could actually pour uh, these viruses on some people and they won't even get sick. They won't even show a symptom. They, they may never even replicate a single virus in their body because their body is already acutely immune and their cells will not accept the viral cells or viral exosomes into their cells for replication. While other people get a few, may walk around for months with those viruses in them. Because once they're in them, they may exist for some period of time. Until they find one or two or a thousand or a million cells that will replicate them. These cells are very small. Exosomes, viruses are even smaller. They, A couple of virus uh, exosomes in your body aren't going to make any difference until they actually get into a cell where they can be replicate, replicated and become from one viral agent, one exosome, foreign exosome, can become 20. And then when they become 20, they go out and infect more cells and then they multiply where 20 become, you know, 400. And this goes on in your body until you get thousands of them. And then the cells that are replicating these and the body that sees that cells are replicating these viruses turn off those cells because they're producing foreign DNA, RNA particles. And that's when you have a problem where you begin to suffer ill effects. Because not... Not just because the virus is killing anything. Your body is killing the cells that are producing 
the false DNA, RNA exosomes. They're producing them, they're replicating them, and they shouldn't be. So it's your body that is making you sick because it has accepted something that is not a part of your human genome that it should not have ever accepted. This is the problem with the present state of society. They are accepting something as validly true that should be a part of your society that should not be a part of your society. And they replicate that false paradigm over and over again. That's what they do in public schools every day, even in private schools every day. I don't want to just pick on public schools. Is they take ideas that are not true and they replicate them in the minds of your children. They are infecting society with a false paradigm. A false a paradigm, a genetic code, a sequence of information. They are repeating it in the minds of your children until your children accept it. And then their children go out and rehearse it and restate it to other peer groups. One of the things uh, uh, somebody was talking to me just this morning. They had been talking to a public school teacher who is teaching you know, over 100, I think 150 students online now. And they had those students in classes and now they have them online and they say they're not getting their studies done. They're not getting the work done. Now, we won't even consider the fact that what they may be studying isn't true. (laughs) But why is the uh, theoretically homeschooling or distance learning not working? Because there's an absolute need for social interaction of the children to motivate them in their studies. They don't want to be ridiculed by the teacher. They want to appear to be knowledgeable amongst their peers. But they aren't amongst their peers. They are isolated. That's an important word. They are isolated. Now, a lot of people think homeschoolers are isolated Actually, homeschoolers are often the most gregarious people you can find anywhere. They're often, the statistics show that they're much more uh, socialized in society than the kids who go to public school. Why is that? Because when you go to public school, you have a, a bad paradigm created from the very beginning Well, I shouldn't say from the very beginning of public school because the first public schools were one-room schoolhouses. In one-room schoolhouses, you have multiple ages. You have first graders and eighth graders and up all mingling in the same classroom. That's multiple age education. And that's essential for proper development because that is the natural environment found in the family, multiple age children in one family. And then your older brother's friends are a part of your community and your younger sister's friends are a part of your community, a a part of your culture. And you interact with them. But in modern day public education, they have single age education 
where all the 13-year-olds are put into the same classroom. <laughs> Can you imagine the, the uh, repercussions of that? Uh, when I was asked to teach at a private school over in Western Oregon, I said, not if you're going to have single-age education uh, because you're a part of the problem. I said, better off you send me their parents than, than because they're the problem because they haven't taken time to look at the risk assessment of public education, single-age public education. They haven't checked out the risk assessment. Now, I, I use the term risk assessment because it's something that came up this week. I was listening to Kennedy Jr., Robert Kennedy Jr., talking about vaccines and talking about pharma's, uh, big pharma. And... Uh, he was talking about the fact that they, and the shutdown. They, they did not do a risk assessment for the shutdown. And in the news, and studies have come out that 10,000 children will starve to death this month of August, starve to death every month thereafter, not because of coronavirus, but because of the shutdown. Now, this is 10,000 children starving to death. That means there's at least 100,000 to half a million children severely suffering because this month, because of the shutdown. But you don't care about them because the news did not tell you to care about them. To worry about them. Only only a few news channels carried the story. Most of them don't because they don't want to. They have a narrative. They have a, a cultural paradigm that they want to keep in your knowledge even though it's not true. And so here on Keys of the Kingdom we're trying to show you the other side a lot of times. Both sides. Or the multiplicity of sides that are going on in your day-to-day activity. But really what we want you to do is learn to see them for yourself. You know, a famous psychologist, uh, Eric, um, Eric Erickson, he stated, Healthy children will not fear life if their elders have integrity enough not to fear death. Now that's... That's really a clever way of putting it. And he put a lot of thought into this idea of children and parents and elders and caregivers before he came up with that conclusion. That healthy children will not fear life if their elders have have integrity enough not to fear death. Everybody wearing a mask fears death. Oh, they'll say they're doing it to protect other people, but they are afraid. They don't want to think about what is really going on. It is ever, almost every study has come out and showed there's very little difference between those people who wear masks and those people who don't wear masks in most of the situations that they are in. When it comes to the spreading of viruses. Very little difference. Now some studies have come out and said there is a difference. But they don't say how much. 
They don't say there's a significant, significant enough to notice or significant enough to mandate $2,000 fines for everybody who doesn't wear a mask. You see, nobody looks at things in perspective. It's all about emotions and feelings. Now, if you want to wear a mask, that's fine. But it's really not going to stop the virus. And it, no one has ever said scientifically that it will stop the virus. It might slow the virus. But like I said, slowing the virus actually is going to kill more people. More children will be starving to death as you continue to shut down the economy worldwide. And, and in that starving to death, there will be depression, there will be suicides, there will be abuses. Untold. If you, we got 10,000 dying. How much other heartache and, and trauma are you creating worldwide with your shutdown? Nobody has done that risk assessment. Actually, people have, but you're not going to hear about them in most of the news programs. So it's not going to be a part of your knowledge and experience and beliefs and values and attitudes. Because you are a part of a culture of delusion. Because you don't have right knowledge. You lack right knowledge. Daniel Webster said, A country cannot subsist without liberty, nor liberty without virtue. And the reason you're all shut down is because you lack virtue. It's not because the government said everybody had to shut down. The media says everybody has to shut down. It's because you lack virtue. Because you don't want to know the whole truth. That's part of virtue, knowing the whole truth. And because you're operating for fear, which is why you're not going to have healthy children. Because healthy children will not fear life if their elders have integrity enough not to fear death. People's faith in the medical societies because they fear death. They have no faith. So they have put their faith in the medical institutions. Somebody recently survived COVID. And uh, they showed his pictures circulating on Facebook. He, all his fingers are gone. His hands are all bandaged like big fists. He lost all his fingers because uh, because of COVID. Because he had the coronavirus? No, because when he went into the hospital, they almost immediately put him on a ventilator. Now, they didn't do that in places like Taiwan and Japan because they didn't have enough ventilators, maybe, or because they found another protocol which they found to work better. They used it in inhalants that are used for asthma to slow down that process that's going on in the lungs, which is you... Killing yourself. It's not the virus killing you. It's the fact that you're replicating the virus with so many of your T2 cells. I think it's the T2 cells. That that your that your body has started to turn off those cells. And those cells are dying. And it's making it difficult for you to breathe. So if you slow down that process... You'll slow down that process of correction, which is correcting your malfunction in your body faster than you can recover from it. 
So they slow it down with this inhaler. It's an asthma inhaler. It's a, uh, I think it's a steroid. And you only have to take it for a little while because you only have to slow it down, which is, they say slowing down is a good thing, right? <laughs> well, here, that's what they're doing. They're intervening in the body. Seven deaths amongst 23 million people as of a few weeks ago uh, in Taiwan. 23 million people that can't hardly social distance because they're crammed on that little island so much together. They had the virus. They had a vulnerable population who eats eats a lot of starches, lots of sugars, and they only had seven deaths. Why? No ventilators. <laughs> they didn't use ventilators. This guy who got so sick in the hospital was because they put a ventilator down him. And still today, I know lots of nurses and doctors who think, oh, yeah, we have to put them on a ventilator. Even though there's plenty of evidence floating around out there uh, from nurses and doctors. Doctors, I heard a doctor originally months ago saying that he believed the ventilators were a mistake. Uh, a nurse in Florida saw no loss of life, treated hundreds of patients, but not with ventilators. But then when she went up to New York, and they're all using ventilators all the time, she's seeing patient after patient die. The only one she saw put on a ventilator that survived was somebody who pulled the ventilator out of his lungs himself. Because you're not just put on a ventilator, you're given all kinds of other drugs. And of course, if you look at that guy, you actually read that guy's case who lost all those fingers. He had septus, he had uh, lung collapse, he had blood clots, he had uh, all kinds of imbalances in his body. Why? Because the way in which the medical society was treating them. Ventilators were almost a death sentence in the case of COVID. It was almost a guarantee that you were going to die. But once they started that, they could not admit they were wrong in using ventilators. Few doctors did. Certainly nurses began to recognize it. But still to this day, I know nurses who don't recognize it. Who still think we have to do that. Why? Because if they don't, they have to admit they were facilitating the deaths of all those people that they used them on before. They can't accept the guilt. So where does this weakness in society come from? It comes from our culture. <laughs> it comes from that, that the accumulated knowledge, experience, beliefs, values, and attitudes and meaning. Now, I don't want to blame it on culture. That culture is just an invented idea that we define that particular way. But you want the culture of the kingdom, which is a culture of faith and hope and charity. If we, you know, we'll, we'll take a look a little bit at Erickson before we move on with some of the other things that are going on. I'll tell you why there's been a rise in, in, in COVID cases. And there's multiple reasons for that, but there's a very specific reason for that, and it will go against the narrative. But that's commonly what we do here, is go against the narrative. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. Uh, I wasn't going to talk about, well, I was going to talk about a certain number of things. Uh, I put it down on my list of things that, because of what I see going on in the network, which everybody should be a member of, and uh, what's going on in the world, 
which everybody should not be living of, in but not of. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, because we're supposed to live in the world but not of the world. So, what what is all this I'm I'm talking about, and, and why am I going on with some of the subject matter that I have been going on this morning? Is just to prepare you for the things that we'll we'll be talking about as we get farther along in this subject. One of the things that came up today is people talking about correcting their status. And I just put up a web page on a particular group. Uh, I can't remember the name of the group right offhand, but I can tell you here in a minute. I think I, the American um, States Assembly. And it, I, somebody has sent me a link to somebody who's talking about creating intentional communities, free intentional communities and and you know to kind of come out of the system or whatever and correct their status and they had a couple other links on their page of two people who were talking about offering you ways to correct your status well if you're going to correct your status first you have to correct your thinking (laughs) and of course christ came to correct your status I mean, his whole message was about correcting your status. John the Baptist as well, correcting your status. But they started off saying, to correct your status, you have to change your thinking. Correct your thinking. That's what we call repentance. It's changing the way you think. And then you have to put that new way of thinking into action. And that means you have to become a doer of the word. See, a lot of people say they believe in Jesus, but they never become doers of the word. And Jesus says, not those who say, but those who are doeth the will of the Father. Not that you earn your way into the kingdom, but if you're not doing what the Father said to do, if you're not acting righteously, if you're still coveting your neighbor's goods or seeking the wages of unrighteousness, you haven't really changed the way you're thinking, nor have you Become a true believer in Christ. You believe that Christ was the Savior, but you don't believe in Christ. Because you're still trusting in the world and the flesh and even the adversary of God for your life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. And, you know, at least the socialist is honest about it. That is his religion. Your religion, worshiping, people wanting to go to their church and worship without a mask. Worshiping has to do with obeying the Father. Doing what the Father said to do. It's not about meeting in a room and singing songs. It's about actually being doers of the Word. Actually seeking righteousness in the way in which you do things and relate to everybody else. Because we're not made to be isolated creatures. We're made to be gregarious in communion with one another. But communion has to do with the sharing of bread, right? We see a little wafer of bread and we say that's communion. Communion has to do with sharing your bread. Jesus took bread, broke it, gave some of the bread that he took to the apostles. That's communion. Where do you get most of your bread? You might get a crumb at church, but most of your bread may come from the government of the world who exercises authority one over the other. 
That's not the culture of the kingdom. That's the culture of the world. And you need to change that. So anyway, I just put up a webpage on them and I went through just, I just read down their homepage just a little ways and I found all kinds of inconsistencies, leaps in logic, wishful thinking, and not accounting for the whole truth. I keep repeating that. You need to know the whole truth and provide for it. So I put that up and it's under our guru section at preparing you. One thing that the original post that somebody sent me, a video sent me, they're talking about these campfires and these little groups and these intentional communities. Well, come the first uh, weekend in September, we're going to have a gathering out here in Summer Lake. We call it the Bernie Bush Festival. And we, we, we now have some property that we can, we can uh, use to have larger and larger meetings. We're still going to have the meeting where I'm living right now because it's been pretty small and we have room if it needs to get a little bit bigger. But the reality is is that this is similar to what we see in other intentional communities all throughout the world in the Teutons and and uh, the Jutes and, and different cultures all over the, the world for centuries and centuries. And what we see in Israel was called the Feast of Booze or the Feast of Tabernacles, Tabernacles, Booze, Tabernacles just means tent, the Feast of Tents. Everybody comes and they set up a tent. Everybody in the country goes camping for the weekend or for a whole week, actually. And uh, they all prepare their own foods and they all share with one another and they have a great time. It's kind of a like the uh, Burning Man Festival with clothes and no drugs. <laughs> so... <laughs> uh, it, it's a family event. And uh, so anyway, we started years ago and we've had people coming. But times are changing. And uh, I've seen a number of things where people are talking about that. They're, I can see them getting close to the idea of the kingdom, but it hasn't really congealed yet. It hasn't really uh, come together for most people. They're still a scattered flock. And I'm very familiar. I've told you lots of stories. When I first started herding sheep on the desert, I used black-faced sheep, which are a farm flock. They're not used to the desert. They're not used to the ranges. They're not used to the freedom of having no fence around them. And they just wander everywhere. Fortunately, I did that when I was a pretty good runner and had a few good dogs over the years that uh, made it possible to even do that. But I began to learn that if the sheep... Our range sheep, if they have that gregarious instinct themselves, it makes the life of the shepherd a lot easier. Still got to be there alert. Still has to show them where not to go, where danger is. But they will listen to the shepherd because they hear his voice. We have gone the wrong way. And, of course, there's all these other groups out here trying to get people to correct their status without correcting their thinking, without correcting, you know, what was that culture again? Culture included their knowledge, okay, experience, beliefs, values, attitudes, uh, meanings, religion, notions. What is religion? What's your religion? That your religion is 
how you take care of the needy of your society. The other members of your cultural society. Do you do it through force? Do you do it through violence? Or do you do it like John the Baptist said, through charity? Like Christ said, through charity. Like Moses said, through charity. Because if you haven't changed that in your thinking, you cannot change your status. Because your status is a product of your thinking. And so you have to change that. So... Like I said, Daniel Webster said, a country cannot subsist well without liberty, nor liberty without virtue. So you need a virtuous way of thinking in order to have and obtain and maintain liberty. Liberty cannot be preserved without general knowledge amongst the people. The general knowledge has to be right knowledge. Yea, but for the lack of right knowledge my people would have been saved. When virtue is at liberty, so to some extent is vice. And so, what do you do about those people who want to gather with you? That was one of the things that came up on one of the videos is that the people have to prove themselves. I'm not sure exactly what their proofs are. There was a lot of flowery talk on the video and not much meat and substance. And I'm a meat and substance guy. Because I've I've seen so many people trying to do this in the past with utter failure. Because they don't take the whole truth into consideration. And that whole truth in consideration means the truth about yourself. Not just the truth about the bad guys. But the truth about you. Because you really have been one of the bad guys. And that's... That's, you have to be willing to admit your error in order to fix what's going on. So anyway, that last quote, or the quote about liberty cannot be preserved without general knowledge amongst the people. That was John Adams. And actually, I just copied some of these quotes right off of our our BurningBushFestival.org website. If you want to know more about it, go to BurningBushFestival.org. Um, really should join the network. There's links there on that page for joining the network. There's links at preparing you for joining the network. Because it's about people coming together to care about other people. And why is that important? Well, I'll tell you, Erickson told us why that was important. Christ certainly told us why that was important. Moses told us why that was important. So I, I don't know why I have to repeat that, but I will. A country cannot subsist without liberty, nor liberty without virtue. So virtue is absolutely essential. It is necessary to make virtue fashionable. Right now, being unvirtuous is fashionable. You know, going out tearing down statues, that makes people feel good. That makes them feel fashionable or righteous. But it's just virtue signaling. It's not real virtue. Dependence begets subservience and veniality, suffocates the germ of virtue, and prepares fit tools for the design of ambition. Who said that? Well, actually, that's Thomas Jefferson. Dependence begets subservience and veniality. And suffocates the germ of virtue. 
Socialism wants you dependent upon the state. And it will get, that is the design of the ambitious tyrants of the world, the would-be tyrants of the world who want, they want to get you willing to take a bite out of your neighbor. Well, they'll say just bite out of the rich neighbors. But it's your neighbor just the same. The Passover festival, another festival, a feast of uh, loaves, these all have to do with the rich and the poor sitting down with one another and learning to care about one another. It's bringing society together, not dividing it. Intersectionality, all these things you're hearing about in the news are teaching people how to divide themselves. They they use culture to divide you. This is why cultural appropriation pops up. Can't have my culture. I have a patent on my culture. You can't have it. <laughs> that that's that's all about division. It's not about bringing people together. Christ was about bringing people together. There will be division because Christ has said, "I come to bring a sword." He's going to make a, a division, but it's going to be between those who are willing to be virtuous and those who are not willing to be virtuous. Those will those people willing to serve one another and those people not willing. To serve one another. So, there was a thing that uh, Eric Erickson was uh, talking about, which uh, he talks about the conflict during the stages of psychological development, and he did a lot of study on this. And, and I don't agree with everything he says, but he put things down in an orderly and logical fashion. So, they're worth looking at in order to correlate them with. The kingdom, and he talks about the the stages and theories that he developed over many years, and it was a final version where he talks about infancy during infancy from zero to one, and I've, I've seen this myself with uh, animals. We see it in in the lambing barn as well, as that there are basic trust and mistrust conflict that either creates hope or do not create hope in the individual. Hope is a very important thing because the world is a scary place. And without that hope, you see things happen in the world and you become afraid. With that built-in pattern or, or grooves or paradigm of hope built into your system by the fact that your parents actually took care of you, they actually nurtured you between the year, ages of zero and one. It, it goes on from there, but this is where that starts. According to Erickson, he just kind of, this is the way he puts it together. There's an appreciation of interdependence and relatedness. The, the child is dependent upon the mother. And the mother and the father work together so that the child will be cared for. Of course, now in 75% of the homes in the black community there isn't a father the father is the state (laughs) so there's an interdependence with the state which is why socialism socialism looks so attractive to them because they the state is their sugar daddy but the state doesn't give them anything that belongs to the state it only gives them what they took away from your neighbor so socialism is diametrically opposed to the statement, love thy neighbor as thyself. Because 
you're going to use force against your neighbor. And if you think that paradigm is okay, then why are you complaining about the government using force against you? You've, you've licensed it to use force against you when you license it or applied to it to use force against your neighbor. You're in conflict with the Creator. And the Creator has endowed you with certain inalienable rights. If you're in conflict with the Creator, guess what? You're going to lose access to those rights. You're not to be slothful. The first thing God did was give a job to Adam to dress it and keep it. If you're slothful in that job, you're going to end up under tribute. That's that's in the natural law dynamic. So if we're going to talk about natural law and and where your inalienable rights are found, you you need to understand the repercussions of not abiding by the natural law. And this relationship of mother and child and mother who is also a wife and husband is a part of that interdependence and relatedness that brings hope, creates the avenues of hope in the hearts and minds of children. And it begins as early as zero to one years. It goes on from there. But it begins at least that early. It goes on to say that early childhood from one to three, there's another conflict between autonomy... And he says, versus shame. And it has to, it brings about this thing we call will. Acceptance of the cycle of life from integration to disintegration. In other words, you have this certain amount of, you know, crawling across the room, one to three, walking, developing your own Ability to travel about and feed yourself and go to the bathroom yourself. So you have this balance between autonomy and he says versus shame. But uh, failure, could we put the word failure there? Autonomy and failure. But we're developing our own will. We can choose to go on the potty. <laughs> we can choose to feed herself. You see a little kid in the high chair. He's eating something and suddenly he puts something in his mouth. He doesn't like it and it comes back out again. And that's the exercise of will. He's making choices. But how he relates and how his family relates to that with anger, then they're creating avenues of anger. Impatience, then they're creating avenues of impatience. They're forming this child with their action and reaction. In society, we do the same thing. Who feeds you? Who cares for you? Who cares for your parents? Is it the state? Or is it you? You see, we we are changing the paradigm by our day-to-day choices. On a regular basis. He talks about in the ages of three to six. Initiative versus guilt. This is the conflict. Where you can now take initiative. You're getting an opportunity up to the three to six years of age. Six years of age. You're, you're maybe riding bikes and making all kinds of choices. You're also beginning to recognize what is humorous. 
You're developing empathy for others because you see others and you have to care for them. Of course, you may not know how to do that if no one's ever cared for you. But deep down spiritually, there can be something else helping us make these choices. And the, this something else is a divine consciousness. And by the time you get from 6 to 12, that divine consciousness actually may be becoming prevalent in your life. You, you have to apply yourself and show industry. And you, with that comes failure. And, but with the ability to be resilient in the experience of failure, you can develop competence. Of course, you could have people that are putting you down all the time and ridiculing you and mocking you. And of course, this is what we see going on in the teaching the children through the remote network, remote learning. They don't have that interaction with other children. And that's a, an important part of the stimuli in making decisions and making choices. But we're supposed to all be social distancing and we're supposed to be locked down in our home. This is, this is a strategy designed in hell. If I was the devil and I wanted to take over the world and destroy humanity, I would create this scenario that everybody needs to stay in their house and shut down their businesses, bankrupt the entire world so that tens of thousands of people, including children, die. How many children will be aborted because they, the, the wife and husband have lost their business? And they, she finds out she's pregnant and we can't afford a baby now. We've just lost our business. We're bankrupt. We're about to lose our home. So the people going to make out on this is the abortion clinics who made millions and millions of dollars last year. They're going to make even more because of the shutdown. As more children will be aborted because there's more stress and fear. Hope is being killed daily. Basic trust and mistrust. Do you trust the news? Do you trust government? Never before have the polls showed so much much mistrust for the media and the government because they're lying to you. We know the numbers have been padded. They, they've said right out that we're going to count everything from motorcycle deaths to medical deaths to cancer deaths, pneumonia deaths. We're going to all attribute it to COVID. And so now we get a number of like 150,000 people. It's not true. It's not real. It's fake. It's false. Not that many people have died from it. It's a bad flu and it may have been created by men. I don't know. But it's just a bad flu. And the fact is, if you had hope, you'd realize that your immune system could deal with this. You know, a great many people are talking about hydrochloroquine and zinc being a very effective way of dealing with COVID. And I believe that it probably can have a medicinal value to it. It's the zinc, really, that's key. Although, if you're farther along in the symptoms, the hydrochloroquine can 
actually do things inside your lungs to slow again we're just slowing down that process of fighting off because what's happened is that you've gotten sick because your body didn't realize that you were getting sick and therefore it didn't start to fix the problem until the problem had got farther along but it, the symptoms, most of the symptoms you're experiencing is your body trying to fix the problem. This is correlated almost directly to with all these sites out there talking about correcting your status. They're rushing to correct your status with paperwork. But they haven't corrected your thinking. <laughs> you haven't changed your thinking. You haven't learned what you needed to learn way back there in the early days. Nobody taught it to you. You need to take that into account so that you learn what you have missed before. Now, you find out now that you're infested with tyranny and you're trying to fix it without fixing the origin of the problem. And so, if you go at, you rush into that, you'll end up being as sick as the worst corona patient because your body will be overstimulated to overreact and it will literally make you sick to the point of almost dying. Now, most of the people are not dying from the COVID. They're dying from the lack of hope and from accepting information from the false narrative of often the medical society and certainly the news and often from politicians. But we're going to give you more positive solutions when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, I wanted to try to finish out the second half of the show with more positive note. Because we're the only reason I show you the dark side is so that you can distinguish it <laughs> when I show you the light side. Because that's where the real choice takes place. Most of the choices that we make day to day are are the product of the paradigm ruts that we have been, that we have fallen to over a period of our life, starting way back when we were one years old. That if we're mistreated, then that's going to create a conflict, unresolved conflict. I've seen people who get molested as a child when they're 40, 45, 50 years old. That molestation comes back and haunts them and compels them to make choices that are destructive because they've never dealt with the original trauma of that molestation. Of course, we know that a great deal of the gays and homosexuality in the world today are the result of trauma, unresolved trauma, that if you resolve the trauma, the other problems can start to go away and heal. It's like getting a... Uh, a big old splinter or thorn under your skin and then you put a bandage on it and heal it over but you never remove the thorn and you have to remove the thorn in order for proper healing to take place the thorn comes from unresolved issues What's, what does that mean you didn't forgive those who Injured you. This is why Christ puts such an importance on forgiveness. It's a part of the healing process. Leave God to the judgment of that individual. You have to forgive them. But if you won't even look at the problem, 
See, this is why so many people are now stuck in the rut of wearing masks or social distancing and trying to shame other people who are not wearing a mask because they cannot, they do not have the humility to admit that the masks really don't do anything of value. In most cases. Now, there might be some cases you're going to visit grandma. You can wear a mask. Just make sure that you don't infect her already pre-morbidity life. Just because you're a diabetic or even because you're a little overweight or because that you're older doesn't mean that this is going to kill you. It had a 101-year-old woman almost the first month survive uh, COVID. They didn't put her on a respirator. <laughs> she just survived. So it isn't about age or or being a little overweight or being diabetic. It has to do with a lot of other health issues. But it is very clear that when you look at the death counts, where they had respirators, people died. Where they didn't have respirators, you know, ventilators, let's put it that way, ventilators, people survived at a much higher rate. So what caused the death? The intervention <laughs> or or the disease? The cure kills. And the cure kills, stop using it. And of course, I have been around for a long time now and I've watched so many of these status correction people destroy the lives of the people they sold their status correction scheme to. And, you know, we've exposed them. And I was always shocked at the amount of people when you showed them very clearly that what they're saying about land off of tax rolls and doing this and that and the other thing was not true. It was false declaration because we actually went in and checked the property, found out where it was because they were very secretive about all these things. And found out that no, no, it's still on the tax rolls. They still pay the tax. They just pay it in cash. Somebody comes in and pays it in cash every month or every year. So their claim was fraudulent. We exposed this with evidence, statements, you know, documentation. People don't want to believe it. They want to believe the lie because. They are just transferring their trust to another guru, to another somebody who's telling them this is the solution. Blind leading the blind. And then somebody comes along with a light and they're the evil one. They're the ones that are attacked. So anyway, what we're trying to do is expose the truth in a way in which people could begin to see the truth as it is. So I was going through uh, th- this list uh, by Erickson and we got up to uh, uh, 6 to 12, industry versus inferiority. In other words, you begin to do things, but also then you have to deal with failure. And, uh, and with that comes an exercise of humility. Uh, acceptance, of course, of one's life and unfulfilled hopes. So you hope for something, you fail, but you have the humility to get up and try again. All you're doing is creating the, the patterns from the exercise of the culture in your own life. When you get to 12 to 19, now you're getting in the deltoid area and they're developing that identity. 
But a lot of times society is creating more confusion. And this is why it's so important to the intersectionality community to get to the younger population and to confuse their identity with their story time guys and dresses and all these weird things that they get. And uh, we see it. If you actually, if the parents were, no parent should send their kids to school without reading all the school books that those teachers are going to use. Every parent should have a right to sit in on a classroom and find, I mean, you should have like a baby monitor (laughs) in the classroom hooked up to your phone so that you can hear what that teacher is telling your children while they're teaching. Boy, I tell you, that would be interesting. That every single teacher is being videoed all the time. And any parent can log in at any time and see what that teacher is saying. I tell you, you get a different outcome in your school. But basically, the first message you sent when you send your kids to public school is that it's okay to take away from your neighbors who have no children in the school and force them to contribute to your welfare. You, the very fundamental principle of public education is one of covetous practices. And the covetous practices, they will make you merchandise and they will curse your children. But anyway... Back to the 12 to 19 year olds, you're developing that identity and, and that is a personal individual identity and learning how to interact with everybody else in society. And then they talk about 20 to 25 is intimacy versus isolation. Isolation, that's the lockdown. <laughs> they have created isolation everywhere. But then they talk about 26 to 64. And, you know, the the old saying where they said that uh, when I was younger, if you you have no heart, <laughs> if you didn't believe in socialism as a youth, uh, but if you still believed in socialism once you get older, then you have no head. Because you understand that it is counterproductive. But between the ages of 26 and 64, they talk about generativity versus stagnation. So what is generativity? Because when I even read it, I, I was stumped at that word. It's, it's a, there's a medical definition of generativity and it concerns for people besides yourself and your family that usually develops during middle age, especially a need to nurture and guide younger people and contribute to the next generation. Call it generativity because you're contributing to the next generation. Well, of course, when you're young and you get married and you first start having children, that's gonna, that pretty much preoccupies your thinking. You, you need to take care of these kids. But then the public school comes along and says, send us your kids and you won't have to worry about them anymore. We will take care of them. And like I said, if you're sending your kids to public school and they don't have video cameras on every one of the teachers that you can log into with your phone at any time during the day, can you imagine the pressure the teacher would be under (laughs) with that? Because they never know who was watching. (laughs) 
I could tell you lots of different things would be said <laughs> in the classroom than what's being said there now. But this is very important. This is why heads of families in Israel, in the original culture of Israel, the head of the family was the eldest member of the family. That the sons, even in Rome, this was the case, and the Teutons, sons had to ask permission of their father to get married. When they got married, they were still somewhat under the authority of their father. The idea they had what they call a frank marriage. Uh, I don't know if that is from the word frank as we think of or from the franks, uh, the concept. But a frank marriage was one, no strings attached. Your wife is your wife. Your family is your family. But you still were not sui juris in possession of all your rights. Because your father still lived. Until your father died, he was the head of the family. And when you tithed, you tithed to the father. And then your father distributed that money because he had a generative view of the world. He was concerned not only with his family, but his neighbor's family. Because he knew that his family would not survive unless his neighbor's family survived. Because they knew they were a cohesive society, interdependent. Interdependence, that goes back to the very first thing you were learning in the first year when you sucked at your mother's breast. You were dependent upon her care. And she was dependent upon her husband's care. But today in our society, most of the mothers in the black community, and now it's becoming most of the mothers in the white community, are dependent at least in part, upon the state. Because the state is their father. And so everything is disrupted. You have a, you are not living in the culture of the kingdom. You're still, you cannot change your status until you change your thinking. And then when you change your thinking, you must change your actions. And when you change your actions, and begin to follow a certain pattern of thought, then you can be born again in a new way, which is actually an ancient way, of righteousness. Because this is what you're supposed to be seeking, the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God. And the righteousness of God is you don't covet your neighbor's goods to the agency of men who exercise authority. You do not uh, force your neighbor, to provide you with the benefits you desire. You cannot live by wantonness and righteousness at the same time. So this is a process of seeking the kingdom. That seeking is a process word. And the righteousness of God. By changing the way you think and then changing the way you act in accordance with that. So this is the process that we all need to learn and practice. This is what practicing religion. Religion is not going to church and singing, going to church and listening to a motivational speech or uh, a long sermon. Going to church and worshiping God is going and doing what God said to do. Where in the church was the entire social welfare of Christians... It was a different world we lived in. They talk about old age, 65 
to death. Now, these are categories that Erickson put together. You know, so he's putting these arbitrary ages on there, but we're just correlating them to show you the structure of the kingdom. But he talks about the conflict is integrity versus despair. You know, all the things that I'm doing to try to help people deal with what's coming down the road in the future. I don't always want to tell you what's coming down the road in the future because I don't want you to live in fear. I want you to live back there in that zero to one year in hope because you're all born again new. Those of you who are trying to be born again new, maybe you're still groaning in the birthing process. But I want you to live by hope. But the generative conflict is the beginning of care. It's not really because, I mean, the intimacy is the beginning of love because from 20 to 25 and on, you're, you're beginning to learn that love requires sacrifice. That's why the same word that is translated love is often translated charity. That's because it's about sacrifice. Then this generative is not just caring about your family, which you're preoccupied with from 20 to 35 probably, or maybe 40. You know, I had kids that were not of age yet when I was 60. <laughs> so, <laughs> But uh, you learn to care about others as much as you care about yourself. Now you're on the road to the kingdom, but from 65 on, supposedly is this integrity of wisdom versus despair, that you're willing, you know, I talked about Thomas Paine, who in the last days of his life, he wanted to impose a tax upon the people, I think it was a property tax, to take care of the elderly. Of course, he was now one of the elderly, and he thought about it, and he wrote up all the kinds of stuff about it, trying to justify it, and then finally he scrapped the idea, because he realized that forcing the contributions of the people was destructive to its end. That it had to be done by charity, which takes us back to John the Baptist. Till John the Baptist, everybody wanted to do it by force. But John the Baptist said, no, not by force. Do it by charity. If you have extra, an extra coat, extra food, extra shelter, share it with those who are truly in need. And those who are truly in need are going to realize that they have not been industrious enough, or even if they have been pretty industrious, they failed. You know, it goes back to initiative versus guilt, industry versus inferiority, which are the lists that Erickson puts together. But we're talking about, okay, if you have to fall upon the charity of another, it is very important that that other has a face. That he is providing you out of the goodness of his heart. Because that's humbling. And that humility is good for society. It's healthy for society. So this is, this is kind of a rundown trying to show you that seeking the kingdom requires that you have this uh, commitment. Now, when we, Christ commanded that we sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. So that's what the network is all about. It's helping you find a way in which to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. You're not shopping for a mutual admiration society where you find the congregation that makes you feel good. You're making a commitment, which just goes back from, you're supposed to have learned this back between 12 and 19, is fidelity. 
commitment to others. It's not about fulfilling your vision. It's about fulfilling Christ's vision. It is doing what Christ called you to do, which is to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and start to learn what caring and loving your neighbor really means. That is the purpose of Christ, the purpose of God, to be there for one another, to make that commitment. If it's not making you happy, you know, if your wife is not making you happy, you don't get to go out and look for another wife. People can't even be loyal to their spouses. How can they be loyal to God if they are not loyal to one another? So you sit down into tens, hundreds, and thousands and start learning to care for one another. Not just ones you like. When you have four, five, six, eight children, do you just get to care for the ones you like? And the others you dump? <laughs> oh, I don't want to be with them because they, they don't think like I want to think. No. You have to care for one another in the pattern that God has created for us because we're fallen. We have to admit that we're fallen. We're unclear. We're confused. But if we seek that process that God has laid out, Christ has laid out, Moses laid out, tell you the truth, Enoch laid out, even Seth was following this process, then confusion can be dispelled. But we're starting the game light for most of us. We're not, so when we're born again, we have to go back to start learning trust. How can we learn to trust you if you abandon us at a whim? How can you learn to trust us? You're just you're creating mistrust by leaving. Autonomy. You have autonomy in a congregation. You get to choose what to give, when to give, to whom to give it to. But that is the exercise of will. It is up to you to decide what to do and what to not to do according to God's purpose, not your own. God's plan, not your own. So every time you go to give charity, you don't just give charity so you feel good about giving charity. You give charity because you've asked deep down in your heart, humbling yourself before God, who should I have empathy for? Who should I give to? Should I give this? Should I not give this? That choice is yours in a free assembly. The industry, how, you know, every church will find certain people that are always working, the wives are always doing the cleaning, the organizing, the husbands are always showing up with donations. That is the industry. You'll find that in every church. In the kingdom of God, you'll find that in every congregant. And where you don't find it in a congregant, he should be humbled by that which, by those whom we do find it. But ultimately, like I say, in the adolescent stage of your quest for the kingdom of God, you develop a Christian identity, a Christian culture, and you start having that fidelity, not to one another, but to the plan of God, to the crisis that God has laid before us, to accept, you know, whatever trauma or trials or tribulations your congregation have. You will need that connection for others, for God to intervene. If you are not loyal to one another, be there for one another in a righteous way. You're not loyal 
to them, but you're loyal to the concept of God's congregation. If you're not loyal to them, why would you expect God to hear you? If you shut off your connection to them so that you no longer hear their hue and cry, how will God hear your hue and cry? Isn't that what he says? I will not hear you in that day. Because you were not listening to one another in that day. You're trying to elect some king or some ruler or some sergeant major. Some doctor, some lawyer. To tell you, yeah, let's put a ventilator in him. You're not listening to God. And so therefore you will not hear God and he will not hear you. And then... In that process comes an intimacy and with time comes the generativity where you care about others. And this is why Christ says to persevere unto the end because then eventually can come integrity and wisdom. So I'm just following out through the Erickson's uh, stage theory in its final version. You can probably Google that and find it. I'm trying to equate it to this process of sitting down on the tens, hundreds, and thousands. The churches today are not doing that. But the churches today are not the social welfare of the people. The churches today say it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods and look to the government for your benefit. You just come to here so you have some place to tithe. And we will give you pleasant sermons, pleasant music, and a sense of righteousness and a sense of virtue. But we will not actually require virtue that God requires of us all. So, what are you going to do now? You're going to run to preparingyou.com and join us uh, on the network and try to work out your salvation with fear and trembling or not? Are you coming to the Burning Bush Festival? Let us know. I don't get back to everybody. I'm extremely busy. I mean, I was awake at 3 o'clock this morning. I didn't get to bed till almost midnight. <laughs> so you can figure it out. <laughs> There, there's only so much time. But if this sheet were gregarious, <laughs> I would not have to run so much. <laughs> it's the same problem I saw way back when I first went out on the desert with sheep. Is that the sheep, the more gregarious the sheep, the more they gather together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, the easier my job will get. So... Uh, anyway, so why are the coronaviruses uh, more uh, cases? Well, they're detecting more cases. And the death rate for the number of cases that they are finding, the death rate is actually going down. But there may be more people that die. And in some places, the death rate is, like in Sweden, the death rate is, is, is plummeting. And case numbers are plummeting. But what Sweden doesn't have that we have here in the United States, where all the cases are increasing, California, Arizona, Texas, Florida, all the southern states, why are they all increasing there? Well, we have a thousand illegal immigrants coming into this country every, is it every day? (laughs) I think that's the number. It's hard to imagine. Every day, a thousand people coming in. I mean, they used to catch just in one section of the border 400 people. And that was just the ones they caught in one section of the Texas border. And they're coming in from all over South America. They're not just coming in from Mexico. But there's a huge number of them that come in and immediately go to hospitals, like in California, 
Because they will, you know, if they have symptoms and they complain about, you know, how bad the headache is or whatever, they get into the hospital. And they can't ask them if they're legal or not. They have no address, so they're homeless. And they get into the hospital and they're going to get, if they test positive, they'll get a week to two weeks free stay in a hospital. (laughs) But it's worse than that. And I'll tell you when we get back... (laughs) Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So anyway, these uh, people are coming up, the illegal immigrants, they call them, or immigrants that come across without being checked. Now, used to be in order to immigrate to America, all you needed was a letter from an American that said that we wanted to hire you to work for them. They had a contract of employment, either an indenture or usually it was an indenture or apprenticeship or some sort of employment with an American. And when you got to the border, because that was the federal government was in charge of securing the borders of all the states, then you had to pass by this federal immigration authority. And you would hold up that letter that showed that you had a contract with an an American citizen. I won't say U.S. citizen because they weren't U.S. citizens in those days. They were citizens of the individual states. And because the federal government cannot infringe on your power to contract, they had to let you in. They began to change that first by saying, this person seems to be carrying a contagious disease. It was just like a bomb. You know, this person has a bomb. And if we let them in, this bomb may go off and kill other people. So they can't, they're not infringing upon the power of contract. They... They're protecting the rest of the people from being infringed upon by the bomb that this person is carrying, which might be tuberculosis or leprosy or what have you. If you had those diseases, you would be stopped at the border. If the husband had them and the wife didn't, the husband was still stopped. And the families were split up. He couldn't come in. Now, she didn't have to come in. She could go back with him. But he could not come in. Now, these, whether you like it or not, there's a certain legitimacy to that. Because they can bring in communicable diseases that could be devastating to populations of people, both young and old. Now, coronavirus is not dangerous for the young. uh, And it's... It's really already here, so you're not going to stop it by stopping anybody at the border. But what they're doing is these people are being allowed to come across because there's no way to stop them. Not, you know, in my feeling on the wall, there would be no need to have a wall if we were actually doing what Christ said. <laughs> but you're not doing it. You're so far from it. They're coming over here for a number of things. One is free welfare by the benefactors who exercise authority. And what they do is they go right to a hospital. They they can't speak English sometimes. they clearly from a foreign country. They say they live in America and they're homeless. So they have no address. The hospitals on the borders are quickly filled up by this influx, 1,000 people a day. And so they put them on aircraft during the night and they fly them up to places like San Francisco or Santa Barbara or wherever. Sometimes they might even put them on a bus and they get them transported to other hospitals farther into the country where they may stay in that hospital for two weeks during quarantine and then be 
released wherever they're at. The reality is they're spreading the virus too by tens of that ten days. That's ten thousand people come into this country, maybe carrying the virus. They're spreading it. Of course, the rioters are spreading it. I think it's fine to spread it. I think it's bad to take it into a convalescent home like Cuomo did, and for and many of the other states where most of the deaths occurred in the states that forced their convalescent homes to take ill patients. Now, those numbers are still inflated, but those when you're looking at the deaths, deaths are real, but they're not always, you know, you, you put somebody who's infected with this virus in with people who had two, three, four morbidities, age, uh, respiratory problems already, emphysema, uh, overweight, terrible diets in convalescent homes. I used to be a cook in one. I know what they eat. It's horrible. Uh, I tried to improve it a little bit, but I didn't know as much as I know now. But the reality is old people die. They used to die lying up for the flu. Uh, in flu season, they would be dying in, in rows of people going out, being taken by the morticians. It happened every year. It's just now the media doing the shark attack thing, you know, like I said before. That one year they somebody filmed a shark attack, and then next thing you know, within a few days, there was another shark attack video on the uh, news, and everybody was seeing this, and the people were wondering what's going on. Is it the end of the world? Sharks are attacking people everywhere. What's happening? You know, you know, it's like the happening. Uh, no, what's happening is people got video cameras in their phones. <laughs> That's what's happening. <laughs> there were actually less shark attacks that year uh, but than usual. But there were more video cameras. Well, it's the same thing with the coronavirus, is that there's more talk about it. And so, therefore, you think it's the same thing with racism. We talked about that in the last few shows. You know, Morgan Freeman says, you want to get rid of racism? Stop talking about it. <laughs> Because everybody thinks racism, racism. There is no systemic racism in the United States. There is racism in the United States. There's racism in the hearts of many people, white and black alike. And the fact is, is racism is just an excuse to hate. It's it's just an excuse to be angry at other people. Uh, it's like a Trump deranged syndrome. syndrome. They want to hate somebody and the media is giving them Trump. And they feed that hate every day with ridiculous statements. So, so much so that I find myself defending Trump. <laughs> Why? Because they're so outrageously prejudiced against the guy. I don't want to defend him. I'm defending Christ. But I'm not defending false Christians. They need to repent and seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So we had it also in the news this week. We had that Capitol Hill press conference by American doctors. Stop COVID-19 misinformation, they say. And it's the American Frontline Doctors. And they actually had a website uh, called americasfrontlinedoctors.com. Their website was even taken down by their provider. 
they are being blackballed because they're saying, you know, one doctor treated 350 patients, didn't lose a single patient, and was using hydrochloroquine and zinc. I don't think that is the only solution. I think there are other solutions. But I'll tell you, I'll tell you that there is a, you know, people say they don't want to use the hydrochloroquine and zinc and they don't want to advocate it until there's a double blind study just with COVID, which is probably never ever going to happen. And the reality, but they do want you to take a vaccine without a double blind <laughs> placebo uh, test. Uh, without any real tests. And so far the tests have been horrible. 20% of the people have been ill. Many of them had to be hospitalized of just a handful of people. And there's a pre-selection of the people that are, that took the original vaccines. They were the healthiest people in society. No diabetics, no old age, no other morbidities, uh, no other infirmities, well-developed immune systems, good history of health. They gave it to them, and still 20% got extremely sick, some having to be hospitalized. So the, this this new vaccine has never, ever been tried before. This type of vaccine has never, ever been tried before on humans. And they want to have it millions upon millions upon millions of 200 million doses go out all at one time. And you have no idea whether or not since many vaccines can actually infect other people. You know, people are always talking about quarantining the people who don't take vaccines. We know. Scientists know the ones you really should quarantine is everybody who takes the vaccine because they're the threat. Mutate that what's in the vaccine. You know, like the the guys on the troop ship, they gave them some vaccines for mumps and everybody started coming down with mumps because they shortly after they got it they started shedding the uh, the mumps and that what they're doing is priming you for the disease. That's uh, you know, the people who get the regular flu vaccine. They did a study. Military did a study uh, to check. They call it pathogenic priming. Is that everybody who got the flu vaccination, the regular flu vaccination? were 35% more likely to get a severe case of coronavirus because of pathogenic priming. It's a real thing. It's, it's a scientific thing. They're not going to tell you about it on the 6 o'clock news, but it's a real thing, and you'll probably hear more about that. But anyway, they what I'm saying is the hydrochloroquine and zinc is probably some of its effectiveness is because the doctors who administer it or prescribe it are providing hope by the way in which they their bedside manner. They're, they're showing care for this individual. For all we know, this person doesn't have a lot of other people that care for them. Not really care for them, but the doctor sounds like he cares for them. And he's giving them hope in the form of hydrochloroquine and zinc. Now, I, I think the zinc does help in most people in America. The vast majority of people in America are depleted in zinc. And zinc is a very important part of your body. But there are other reasons why. You deplete yourself of minerals that you actually get enough of because of all those other conflicts that we were talking about with Erickson. That, you know, fear instead of hope, anxiety, mistrust. All these things deplete your body. 
of the minerals necessary for a good immune system. So this is why you gather together. Not to give people false hope, but to give, to let people, you show up every week, even on a phone call, 10 family congregations, and then that minister reports back to you that he talked to other ministers, also ministers of 10 family congregations. That should give you hope that other people are learning the way of the kingdom. Learning to care about one another as much as they care about themselves. They're not going to elect some tyrant to rule over things and take from those who have to give to those that don't have enough. But they are willing to sit down and make sure anything I can do for you, let me know. I may not do it, but I will consider it. Because maybe giving to you is not the answer. Maybe I need to help you get a business started. Help you with some employment advice. Help you with some economic advice. Help you with some health advice. And maybe I won't do a very good job of it and you can criticize me and the way I did it. But you gather together to speak the truth. To be ministers of the truth one to another. All the minister is supposed to do is connect you with the other 90. He is not to minister just to you. He's to connect you to the other 90 so that you can all minister one to another. You are not his congregation. His congregation is the congregation of ministers that he sits down with every week to make it kingdom instead of just congregations. Isolated congregations. You don't want isolated individuals. You don't want isolated families. You don't want isolated congregations. And you don't want isolated congregations of congregations. So whatever country you're in, this is the way of Christ. To gather together for the purposes of being the government of the people, for the people, and by the people. So these doctors were giving hope when the paradigm that is being sold by mass media is fear and they want you in fear so that they can some of them want you in fear so they can stay locked down till the election some of them want you in fear because it just gives them power some of these governors and mayors are just drunk with power that's all it is i I quote one thing in an article on on the subject of these guys you can find their video up there uh american doctors um have a video up there. If you if you can't find it, get on the network and we can send it to you. It's been banned on YouTube, but it appears now and then. But uh, it's also on some other, I have some links to some other uh, sites that are alternatives to YouTube and they won't ban it. But anyway, uh, so you can watch it there. and We can share these things. Just get on the network. Ask on your local network. Either a local minister will show you where these things are. If they don't know, they can contact me. I can show them. Don't everybody try to contact me and say where that is because that's not the way it works. Learn to develop the circulatory means by which to share information and share with one another through the tens, hundreds, and thousands because that's what Christ commanded. Don't abandon that method of connecting in your search for the kingdom of God and his righteousness or you can expect only that God will abandon you. Because that's what he says. If you will not hear, then I will not hear you. If you will not hear others, I will not hear you. 
Anyway, the the one quote is, American life has fallen casualty to a massive disinformation campaign. We can speculate on how this has happened and why it has continued, but the purpose of the inaugural White Coat Summit is to empower Americans to stop living in fear. Well, that was what Christ was here to do. That's what John the Baptist was here to do. But John the Baptist, as the rightful high priest of Israel, had learned that healthy children of Israel will not fear life if their elders have integrity enough not to fear death. So he did not fear death. Christ, when he went into Jerusalem, he did not fear death. Peter said, don't go, it's dangerous. He said, get behind me, you adversary of life. (laughs) That's what he's saying. And so, we should not fear. We should gather together and stick to the plan. Stray from the formula and suffer the consequences. Do not divide. So, another video I, I saw this week is Alan Dershowitz and Robert Kennedy, where he talks about, this debate as to, and we covered a lot of this in last week's program. I mean, they're tearing down statues of people who are supposedly racist. But this, the the law that says they have the right to force you to have a vaccination all comes from Jacobson versus Massachusetts case. And we showed you that most of the justices that voted for this, seven of the nine justices that voted, that that was okay, that the government did have the right to force we're racists. <laughs> I mean, KKK members and uh, against the Emancipation Proclamation and against civil rights. and But they made this decision and so now they get to force you to have a vaccination. And by the way, they were deciding where a person either took the vaccination or paid $5. Now it's... They get to take you in and hold you down and inject you. That is, and Dershowitz actually advocates that. Robert Kennedy kind of reversed his thinking on it a little bit. But the mere idea that he has that. You have the right to freedom of speech, but you don't have the right to yell fire in a theater, in a crowded theater. Especially if there is no fire. You don't have a right to inject Unless you can actually prove that you are, it is necessary. And there is no proof that it is necessary. And that's the case that Robert Kennedy made very clearly. I found it a very compelling address. And, you know, Typhoid Mary, back to, you know, letting people in. Typhoid Mary was actually Mary Malone, who was born back in 1869 in Ireland. And she immigrated to the U.S. in 1884. Now, typhoid is not... It's not a viral infection. It's a bacterial infection. And it can cause diarrhea and all this stuff. And the bacteria, it's it's pretty large. I mean, it's a bacteria, not a tiny little virus. It can actually hide in places like the gallbladder. And they actually think it can hide in actually mucous tissues. But it has to, it's a salmonella uh, typhi. And it can actually pass from one person to the next. Uh, Usually... Because of lack of hygiene and, and washing. And she was here in America back in the 1800s and the early part of the 20th century. And, uh, she produced, there was five deaths and about 100 cases. 
Well, actually, there was uh, there were several other people that were also besides Typho and Mary. I can't remember how many cases that she had, but uh, but she was put into quarantine for like twenty six years, and uh, because of the fact that she carried typhoid, and it could spread to other people, and uh, it, it was the salmonella. Now, she, the interesting thing is she was totally immune to it. But she could carry it. Now that, again, this is a bacteria, not a virus. This is where this idea of being able to stop those Alfonso, Catilus, and uh, Tony Labella, and uh, and a uh, number of other people, uh, Typhoid Johnny uh, was another guy who infected like 36 people with two deaths. But uh, this idea of infecting other people, yeah, you don't have a right to do that, but you cannot inoculate 300 million people with an untested vaccine because somebody might die somewhere. That's just crazy. That's insane. Uh, but it's not insane to them because they're under a strong delusion and, and a lot of confusion. But uh, you have no protection against it. We've already gone over that in previous deal uh, because of the fact that uh, the, the case was clearly deciding not inalienable rights but 14th Amendment rights. And they were just saying that they can force you to take the shot or charge you $5. They didn't say that we can hold you down and forcibly inject your body. Now that they could do and I can't hardly make a case against this. They can quarantine you. So you may want cities of refuge that you can go to. But most of these status correction people, they have no idea of what that means. And we we did radio shows years ago, 10 years ago, that are more. I, I lose track of time when, you know, time flies when you're having fun. About the asylum state. And that's what people are trying to create. But I see these people doing these videos and they really don't know what they're talking about. I understand and I have compassion and empathy for what they are trying to seek. But they better be as wise as the serpent and as harmless as doves. In order to get to that status, you need to repent. Change your thinking. And that's what we talk about here all the time is how to change that thinking back to what it should be. Instead of what it is today. And so the first intentional co- community was Cain and Abel. Cain had one community and Abel had the other. <laughs> one altar and the other had the other altar. Cain altar led to violence and destruction. And he went off and started his first corporate city-state. Seth did it another way. Enoch did it another way. Abraham did it another way. Moses did it another way. Christ did it another way. Unfortunately, most modern Christians are not. They have accepted ideas that are literally pathogenic priming and have contaminated their thinking so that they do not understand what is really going on in the world today. And so... Remember, we've got this Burning Bush Festival every year here. We may end up having more and more festivals for different times of the year for different purposes. But mostly what you need to have is the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And we're going to talk a lot lot about that probably in the afternoon show. And what to expect if you want to come 
to the festival, which are small now, but we hope they will grow and grow and grow. And with all these different people showing interest in this, that's fine. But they need to understand, you know, learn to read the map of where we're going and what you can do and what you must do in order to create that free society, that righteous society. Remember where we started when we were first talking about this? We were talking about a country cannot subsist well without liberty, nor liberty without virtue. So we need to have that virtue in order to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And we need to understand what the perfect law of liberty is. Till then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. See you on the network. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.